never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that would like all of us to start calling electricians Power Rangers. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. Hey, man. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? Um, it's been a week. <laughs> um, it's I feel like this is my busiest time of the year uh, where like because I have my main job. Right. But I also work like some side stuff. And this is the part time of year where it all kind of coalesce into one nasty schedule. I've talked about it on the show before. So it's just it's been a week. I did get to watch something new for a change this week as opposed to last time. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so at least I have a review for you. But yeah. Anyway, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, Glad to hear it. <laughs> how was your week? Uh, pretty good. It's kind of um, last week. I feel like all we did was complain about how uh, snowy it was by us. And uh, this past week. It has been nothing but just uh, frigid, like sub-zero temperatures. So I've pretty much just been staying inside as much as possible and just waiting for the uh, time to pass me by. <laughs> so that's uh, been this week. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, the frigid temperatures are one thing. I'm kind of enjoying the frigid temperatures. Um, we got a little bit of a breakout where I am because it hit the uh, teens and it felt like a heat wave. Yes, like it was yeah. literally like, I could take my coat off. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was in the 20s today and uh, by me and like, or like low 20s, but it was still like, oh, I can actually take the dog, you know, on a walk on my breaks from work and stuff. And uh, that was pretty awesome. And yeah, it did. It, it felt warm. So that was really nice. But I do enjoy the cold winter temperatures, but I like like the high teens and like the 20s. Um, I'm not a big fan of like when it gets into like the single digits or lower than that. So <laughs> which I feel like is probably pretty understandable. But uh, yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hey, man, let's uh, not waste too much time because uh, we got stuff to discuss tonight. So why don't you tell me what you watched this week? Yeah, I, I'm only bringing one thing to the table this week. Um, okay. Drew, like last week, this is probably another thing you'll be happy that I finally jumped on. But uh, I finally started watching Myth Mythic Quest. So that's yeah. mostly what I've been watching this week, um, which is on uh, Apple TV. I kind of I guess I've just kind of just started delving into uh apple tv and all the shows that they have on there but um i will tell you this everything i've watched except for one thing has been fantastic and i say that <laughs> going and the reason i say the one thing is like like i watched ted lasso amazing watch shrinking amazing watch missing quest amazing and then i tried a show called it's like hello tomorrow i think I think that's what it's called okay I could not get into it. I'm like, I see what you're trying to do, but I found it really boring. 
And then I started watching For All Mankind. Monarch was great. Uh, the Tetris movies on Apple. Watch that. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, Morning Show is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Anyway. Well, that's actually I'm kind of curious how they're um, how they produce these shows, because I noticed like Mythic Quest is like an Apple TV show, but it's also so I've only watched the first season at this point. But like it's also a Lionsgate show. And I don't know if it's like Apple TV just licenses their shows out to different studios as opposed to like I know. um, Mm. So Amazon Prime, I feel like, is a good example, because I know on the people who didn't like Rings of Power have complained that. Amazon Prime produced that like completely in-house and I I don't know it it just makes me wonder like Apple TV do they have like some really good tried and true method where they're just more so like hiring other studios to make their shows and they're kind of going with like studios and writers etc that know what they're doing and that that I'm really curious to research that but um Mythic, Mythic Quest, I'm really loving this show, and uh, it's been kind of a slow grower on me, and I think it's just because it's one of those, like, ensemble, like, workplace uh, comedy shows, and shows like that, like, if you compare it to, like, Parks and Rec or The Office or something, for me, those shows always take about four or five episodes to really learn who the characters are. Mm-hmm. And then once you get used to the characters, the jokes just get funnier and uh, just everything, just like the way it plays out feels so much more satisfying. And I had the same uh, experience on this show, but there's also another moment where I think I noticed the magic of this show because in the first season, it's like, I think it's like four or five episodes in, they have an episode where they go to a uh, video game convention like their company needs to go to a video game convention and they're trying to recruit a streamer to represent them. And there's a couple other things they have to accomplish. And there's a moment where you have uh, you have Poppy, who's she's one of the main characters of the show. And she's yeah. talking to uh, this character, Dana, who is one of the uh, testers. She's a video game tester. Yeah. And they're both at the at the convention. And uh, Poppy is really annoyed by the experience. <laughs> like for her, it's just like another day of business. Like, oh, crap, I have to deal with this annoying crowd at the convention. And Dana's there and she's having the time of her life, you know. And so like Poppy makes a comment on like, yeah, we're going to have to eat like overpriced pretzels at this place <laughs> and stuff. And then Dana's <laughs> like, no, the, pre- the pretzels are actually really amazing and stuff. And that part of the show I found so funny because I've been in that situation before. Like I've been to conventions with friends where I'm just excited and happy about everything. And maybe my, my friends are like annoyed by everything. But I feel like I've also been on the other side of the coin where I'm kind of like bored or like tired of what whatever convention has to offer. But you're there with like that first time con goer and they're just like, excited about everything and i thought it was such a funny dynamic they were able to capture there but um then from there from that episode the show goes on and it has it does something that i always hate that shows do but this show somehow pulled it off because the very next episode after that convention one they tell this weird backstory of another video game and another video game studio and the history of like um so so it's this uh, episode that has that's, a Jake. That, that's the Jake Johnson episode, right? Yeah, Which, Jake Johnson yeah. from New Girl comes in and he's like this video game producer in the early 90s. And it shows how he meets like he meets this girl who he ends up marrying and they develop this uh, video game together. Kind of like I think it was like 
Dark Quiet Death. It was like it's like this uh, survival yeah. horror game, and uh, it basically tells the backstory of their studio. And then there's details from that episode that actually p- play off later in the season. But usually I hate that in shows like the show will have like one story going and then they'll have a random episode that's like a random backstory of somebody you don't know. And that always like I always find that tedious and it's hard to hold my attention. And this show did it so well, where as soon as that like alternate storyline started, I was sucked in and I was like. I can't believe the show pulled it off. Like they did that in such a satisfying way that was so fun to watch. And it's usually a trope that drives me nuts in other shows that I'm watching. Right. Um, and so, like I said, I've only watched one season. I don't want to go on and on, but I really am loving this. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really loving the season, loving the characters, characters. Um, there's a moment in one of the last episodes of the first season where um the character I mentioned, uh, Poppy, <laughs> is getting yeah. really annoyed by something. And it's one of those things where she gets up and leaves the room. And you have the uh, the head, um, like, creative control on all the games. The, yeah, the game's Ian. creator, Ian, yes. Ian, like, as soon as Poppy gets up and leaves, Ian's just like, oh, no. <laughs> Somebody's like, wait, what's, what's wrong with her? He's like, oh, he basically, I didn't go through the backstory, so I'll kind of shorthand it. But he says this thing where he's like, Oh, she's just really worried about getting my idea perfect. <laughs> the line he says is, she's just really stressed out about getting blood ocean perfect. <laughs> and it's so funny once you get to know the characters, because you realize like, oh, no, this guy's like a narcissistic, a narcissistic asshole who like, even though he knows better, he knows there's other stuff bugging her. He's just going to assume that she's just struggling with keeping his vision alive and uh i just i just cracked up when i heard that line so poppy poppy in that show has these amazing like she gets angry and like yells at people and it's like when you see her get angry and start yelling it's almost like yes i love these scenes like (laughs) i hate to say it but it's like the scenes where she gets mad and starts yelling at people some of the best moments for her because i just like it's just i think it's hilarious um, absolutely what do you think of uh Pootie shoe the youtube kid <laughs> he kind of grew on me like i think at first i just think it's I just funny that of... they hang their hats on his reviews you know what i mean like... <laughs> i think like at first i found i found him as annoying as the other people in the actual show do but then watch the... <laughs> yeah i guess that's true watching the show he's actually grown on me where i think he's pretty funny and stuff and uh they actually have some cool intricate stuff they do with like pootie shoes backstory and stuff but uh no, no, I'm just I'm just loving the show so far. So, yeah. Yeah, it gets great. There's three seasons and then um, there's three seasons and there's supposed to be a fourth. Everyone is contracted for one. And that's when the strike happened. So I don't know what's going on with it. So I hope they continue. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other character who I really love. Sorry, I'll leave one thing. Yeah, but the other character who I love, who I don't know if he stays in the show that much, but um, you have uh, Dana and Rachel are like the two video game testers and yeah. then dana becomes the str- the official streamer for mythic quest for the game they're developing and uh she gets replaced by this other guy i can't remember his name it might be like lou or something and the guy yeah. comes in and he's like kind of really rude <laughs> and oblivious to how rude and obnoxious he is and he just drives the character rachel nuts I love that character. Like, I don't like him as a person, but I think he's so funny because of how rude and obnoxious he is. And uh, he was cracking me up the whole time as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, yeah, good stuff. He, he was great. Um, when you get 
further on, um, they do have they do cover COVID, uh, so they all have to go work from home and stuff. And there's some yeah. really Zoom. There's a really amazing Zoom meeting episode that happens. It's fantastic. They do like a Rube Goldberg uh, machine with Zoom video. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Uh, nice. The, See uh, that that's the next one I have to watch, and I was kind of dreading it because I'm just like I don't know if I want to relive COVID stuff, but that's good to so, hear. There's one, there's two episodes that cover COVID. One of them okay. is funny. One of them is funny. Um, the other one is, uh, there's a moment at the end that's serious, but ultimately the episode's a good normal episode. So, okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, the, the first one that's funny is hilarious because that's when they do the Rube Goldberg thing. Um, the writer, the old man, the writer who does all the backstory stuff. He's yeah. Like this, the show is so, I think, just well put. It feels like Silicon Valley, but with video games instead of a tech company, you know. Um, anyway, uh, did you finish Ted Lasso? No, I haven't finished that. So I've kind of been watching, uh, I'm watching Ted, Ted Lasso with my wife. So kind of like, oh, yeah. I'm watching Mythic Quest on my own sort of thing. So, but uh, in Ted Lasso, I'm, we just finished the episode where it's, uh, I think it's Rebecca. Is that the name of the uh, the franchise owner? Like the soccer team? Yeah. Like, yeah. so her, her, uh, her father's funeral is the episode that we just watched. So I think oh, we're okay. somewhere like still in the middle of the second season right now. I gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, I, I look forward to your review as you kind of cruise through that. But yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that show is still great too. Um, it's kind of hard to know what to say, but yeah, it's it's just really really good stuff with Ted Lasso all around too. So well, yeah, well enjoy because Mythic Quest takes a it takes an interesting turn, but it like loops back around. But the whole time it's hilarious. So you know, it's, okay, cool. Yeah, it's 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 great because especially if you're along with the characters. Anyway, um. So I watched uh, the new Jake Johnson movie, uh, Self-Reliance, um, on Hulu. That's where it came from. Hulu? Yeah, Hulu. Um, did you know about this movie? This is cool. This is a really interesting uh, indie oh, film. Oh, so this this sounds familiar. So it's Jake Johnson and uh, Anna Kendrick oh. and um, who else is in it? Uh, Andy Samberg. Um yeah, it was a really cool. Uh, it was a really cool casting, and then the plot was like ridiculous. And it's an indie film anyway, so it's it's hysterical. Um, you said, "Oh, like you know what I'm talking about?" No, so so uh, yeah, my my wife was watching this the other night. I only saw a couple parts of it, so I just uh, I don't I haven't seen enough of it to really know a lot besides the general pre- pre- uh, premise. But I am familiar with this one enough. But yeah, yeah, keep going. So ultimately, Jake Johnson is uh, he's just this random guy and he's walking on the street. This is how the movie opens. He's walking on the street and this limo pulls up and the window rolls down and it's Andy Samberg. And he's like, are you Andy Samberg? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, dude, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and he's like, nice. yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's like, you know, and he's like, yeah, get in. And he's like, what? And he's like, get in the car. So he gets in the limo. And Andy Samberg goes, okay, so I think that's cool. He's like, dude, you're, I'm such a huge fan of yours. It's so great to meet you. And he's like, he's like, well, so here's the thing. We're, um, this, there's this like dark web, uh, television show that, um, I'm supposed to pick you up for. And I have to tell you full disclosure right now, you either decide you don't want to be part of this dark web television reality show, 
and you get out of the car and we part ways and it was nice meeting you and all that stuff. Or you stay in the car and we go. <laughs> he's like, well, I feel like I got to go. <laughs> so he's like, all right. So he tells the limo, he's like, you sure? And he's like, yeah, I feel like at this point I got to just see where the rabbit hole ends. And Andy Samberg's like, okay. <laughs> and then they take him to this like warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, just walk through the red door and uh, follow the arrows. And he's like, okay. And then he gets out of the car and the limo just pulls away, leaving him there. So Jake Johnson like walks into the building. It's really sketchy. He starts following the arrows and he finds in a room where this guy is sitting at a table. And the guy sits him down and goes, so we want you're a contestant on this dark web television show. And there's cameras watching you at any moment. And we've been actually watching you since you got into the limousine. <laughs> and um, he goes, they're going to be on you 24-7 for the next month. And that's the entire length of the show. During the next month, assassins are going to try and kill you for real. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you make it to the end of the month, um, you get a million dollars. And he's like, what? He's like, if I make it to, and like, there's this moment of what is happening? This isn't real. Like, you know, they have those conversations. And then he's like, no, really, if you make it to the end of the month, you, um, you get a million dollars. And he goes, there's one loophole to it, which is for your benefit. You cannot be killed if you're with somebody. So you can only be killed mm. when you're, you can only be killed when you're alone. So Jake Johnson's like, you shouldn't have told me that loophole. So now he's like, goes to his family and he's like, tell, explains it to him and they don't believe him. But he's like, so, Mom, can I stay with you? And she's like, no. <laughs> and then he, like, reaches out to his brother-in-law. He's like, dude, no. He's like, well, we're going to have to sleep in the same bed. He's like, that's not happening. He's like, look, if I'm alone, they're going to try and kill me. <laughs> like, um, so he ends up making – so, like, not to spoil the movie, but he ends up making friends. He ends up paying a homeless guy to basically hang out with him. <laughs> nice. And then, and then eventually Anna Kendrick comes in and, like, the story – it's hilarious. There's like a little bit of a serious moment to it in a couple spots, but otherwise it's an actual really funny movie, but it's an indie film. So it was just kind of a fun ride all the way to the end. Nice. Um, <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hysterical. So, um, yeah. Uh, but that's what I watched. I definitely suggest it. If you, uh, get a chance to watch it, um, it's on Hulu. So yeah. Um, otherwise my, week has been kind of keeping up and catching up with news for the show and then you know the day-to-day -day. so right that being <laughs> said um let's jump into the news there is not a lot um it was actually kind of a light news week which i appreciate because i think our list tonight is going to be a nice conversation so um i have to renege on a point i made last week because I I made a comment last week about how Top Gun Maverick is a movie that we'll probably never get another one of again <laughs> because yeah. defense department because what they, the hoops they had to jump through to use the planes but it was such a success the Top Gun three is in the works at Paramount <laughs> so my point I was way off and I don't mind What's saying I'm wrong for this at all. What's funny is I was saying I remember last week I was saying like we never know like maybe the military's like gung ho to help out you know help Paramount make another Top Gun because we don't know if like 
Top Gun Maverick like increased recruit recruiting numbers for the Navy. We don't really know how that all played out. And honestly, my scenario I thought was less likely. Like I was kind of more on board. <laughs> like even when I said it, I was like, that's probably stupid. Uh, Drew's probably right. This isn't going to happen. And uh, that's I think at the end of the day, we don't even have to talk about who is more accurate because we're getting another Top Gun. So that's freaking awesome. <laughs> right. You know, like who cares? <laughs> I know. And it's not even and like I, it's not a let's talk about who's more accurate. It's literally. Yeah, exactly. I made a comment based on the fact that we had to wait 30 years because the Defense Department wasn't going to let him in the airplanes again. And then I thought it was going to be I'm literally like this is a one time only deal that they're going to allow this to happen. And nope, it's in the works. So cool. It is it is wild that they are making another one, but it's it's really cool. Like um yeah. so uh writer uh Aaron Kruger uh, is on board um and he uh and he will reunite with the director Joe Kaczynski, who directed um uh, Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise, Glenn Powell, Mile Top Cruise, Tom Cruise, Glenn Powell, and Miles Teller are all returning. Um nice. And, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I just hope, I do hope they bring back uh, Monica Barbaro, who played Phoenix. I really liked her character. And in subsequent watches of the film, I've really enjoyed her character. So I hope she comes back, too. They don't need to, but I think it'd be great to bring her back. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Abs- absolutely. I, I'd hope that most of the, uh, most of the cast from uh, Maverick comes back, because I feel like, I just remember watching Top Gun Maverick and uh, there's that first scene at the bar where you get introduced to a lot of these new characters. And uh, I remember at first I wasn't completely on board with them, but then by the end of the movie, you're just like fist in the air. Like you love these new characters, you're rooting for them. And uh, with, you know, repeat watches, you just love them more and more each time. So yeah, I hope that most of them do come back and I don't really know why they wouldn't. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, not to say that in a bad way, but I haven't seen like a lot of them making like huge movies since. So you would hope well, the, they wouldn't be too busy to well, come back. You know, thing in my mind is I know that you can do a good chunk of the stuff with um, like like, for example, like the MIG pilots or the yeah. guys, uh, the, the MIG pilots in the first film or the uh, fifth generation fighters in the second movie. Those are probably real pilots and they just yeah. mask their faces. You know what I mean? So you're going to have a handful of that. But these actors had to go basically into flight school to be able to make that movie. And that's why I hope they don't like bring bring them back. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they, absolutely. They, or they have certifications and all that stuff. And you spent the money to have them to have certifications and the movie made so much money and so on. And so, you know, so. Um, yeah. All right. So moving a lighter. So, yeah, Top Gun 3. Can't wait. Excited. But it's going to be a bit. So we're all waiting. Um. Okay, this story, I'm not kidding. We turned off the microphones and I scrolled through social media right before I went to bed and this story popped. Um, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland are teaming up again to make a new, to make the sequel to 28 Days Later. Um, Oh, right, okay. I cannot, in my mind, like, there... I haven't really read into this, but in my mind, they this is such a mind trip. Um, the movie 28 Days Later is basically it's zombie. It's a zombie film, but the main character wakes up 28 days into the zombie apocalypse 
and he's like, where is everybody? Like, why am I alone? And then he starts getting chased by zombies and you're on the zombie adventure. The sequel to the movie, 28 months later, um, continues on the story 28 months after the events of the first film, right? Mm -hmm. This movie, this one that's coming out, is 28 years later. Oh. <laughs> like, like this is this is zombie apocalypse filmmaking in real time, all three films. <laughs> like my brain, so it, like, I, when I read the article, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, did they have this plan from the get go? Like, dude, you know, what would be sweet as if we did this 28 years later. Like, it's just too cool. So I yeah, I mean, it hasn't been quite 28 years since the first one came out, but I do well, hear you. Like, it's been a good, I feel like, 15 But that's the thing. But that's years. the thing. They still have to, the, the movie's in flux, so, like, they're going to have to still edit and shoot and all that stuff. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, But but I, I, I do hear you where it's like, first of all, this is pretty cool because you're going into, I'm assuming 28 years later is going to be straight on post-apocalyptic. We're not going to have working helicopters or technology anymore. I think this is going to be like full on post-apocalyptic. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just what my assumption would be. But sure. I think it's a really cool thing to see in real time because, um, Drew, I know you've written stuff like you've written um, your own screenplays and uh, plays and stuff like that. And uh, I've written some like comics and stuff on my own. And I know when you're writing a story, you're always when you think about the world, you're always thinking about the stuff you're not including in the story. Like, you, I, at least for me, like I'm always thinking about like the bigger picture, you know, and like a broader scale of events than what you're able to include in your little comic book or movie or whatever you're putting together. And I think that's what we're seeing is like, there's no reason why when you saw 28 days later, the first time that you would assume there aren't other stories going on with that within that universe. And uh, that's, what's really cool about this is we're actually seeing all that come to fruition um, in a really weird roundabout way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 28 days, 28 days, 28 months. I, 28 months was dark, <laughs> but I, <laughs> right. like, it was, I, I thought it was a rough watch, not because, um, not because of, uh, gore and violence, but because of subject matter, it like kind of wigged me out a little bit, but I thought I, but I enjoyed 28 months later and 28, 28 years later, I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and or director, um, Toby Haynes, who directed uh, episodes of Andor, not all of them, just episodes, uh, will direct the newest Star Trek film with screenwriter Seth Graham. Um, in terms of a plot, we all know that it'll be a, uh, a set a decade before the events of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Um, so technically the 11th fe uh, Trek feature. Um, that's kind of cool, doing a decade before. Um, so tech, tech's going to be rolled back a little bit. Um so we probably won't have Kirk, but it sounds kind of cool. Um, but that'll be the next Star Trek film. Right, right. Kirk could make an appearance, but he would be a kid or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting that they're still going with the same timeline and stuff. And uh, I think it's just going to be interesting to see what changes and how the vibe stays the same and stuff. But um, 
that I think it's just kind of cool in general because those uh JJ Abrams uh Star Trek movies I think were pretty great and uh, I think they hold up pretty well too. So uh yeah, I'd just be excited for more of that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of keeping with the same timeline, Fast and the Furious 11 um will be the final movie in the series. Um I'm just going to say it right now. It's the final movie with this cast. Um, <laughs> because I and I say that very cautiously optimistic, because as long as cars are cool, they're going to find ways to make Fast and the Furious films. I'm sorry, but they are. Um, so I have a feeling it's the last of the series with this cast and the story and all that stuff. So the 11th movie will be the final and it'll be a throwback to the earlier street racing focused installments of the franchise. So we've gone from street racing to international spies back to street racing. Um, so we'll see how that transition plays out. <laughs> and you can't forget that you had like Hobbs and Shaw, which is like the superhero-esque offshoot of it all. So this franchise has gone, gone a lot of different places, but uh I think if they can bring us back down to a grounded street late street racing film and have it be just as exciting as like the other more recent fast movies, I think that would be a really cool way to just tie everything in a neat little bow. So uh, yeah, kind of a cool prospect. I'd, I'm curious how it's going to play out. Yeah. And for something not keeping with the timeline, um, the let's talk about the Alien franchise for a second here. So um, we're getting an Alien film straight to Hulu, Alien Romulus, right? We are also right. getting an FX series, Alien FX series, which will be FX Hulu. So it'll be on both, okay? Um, and uh, new details continue to emerge about Noah Hawley's upcoming um, Alien series on FX slash Hulu. Recently, Hawley dro dropped quite a juicy reveal about how his series fits with the overall saga, or in this case, Ridley Scott's Alien prequels, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. According to Holly, the origin story of the Xenomorphs, as explained in the prequel films, uh, Prometheus and a uh, Alien Covenant, will not be part of his Alien series. Okay. Um, I was thinking about this because... Um, what bugs me about internet journalism is you'll see an article like this and you'll click on it. And as you read through the article, they'll recap the entirety of the alien saga. And there'll be like two sentences that elude you like, cause they don't really fully know either. So, okay, yeah. you know what I mean? It'll be like two sentences for what you are actually looking for. And the rest of the, if, so as an alien fan, you click on the article and you're like, yeah, I know this. 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 Okay. There's the two sentences I wanted, but it tells me nothing. Because the internet journalist doesn't know either until they get a chance to really dive in and see this and the show is still being worked on and so on. So when I read that it will not be part of his Alien series, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Because let's say the show and I – so like Alien Romulus, I believe, takes place between the – if I remember right, it takes place between the original film and – Aliens. So Alien and Aliens. Alien Romulus fits right in between them, right? If that's the case, you don't need a dialogue cue. You don't need a. You don't need like a cameo moment. You don't need a prop. But Prometheus and Alien Covenant technically still happened in the story, 
you're just not addressing it because you're not dealing with that. Yeah, that's you know how what I, I mean? look at it. So when you look at when you hear this, that it's not going to be part of his story. You don't need it to be part of the story. Or is that just his way of saying I'm not my show takes place at a different part of the storyline, you know? So um, I take it with a grain of salt right now um, because I don't fully know. And I don't until we get a chance to see it. Because there might be like the tiniest line of dialogue that's just an audio cue. And you're just like, oh, hey, look at that. You know, they addressed it, but it's not really part of his thing because they're doing something else. When you look at Prometheus, um, I when you look at Prometheus and Alien Covenant, it is origin to the xenomorphs. But when you get into the later films, it doesn't matter where the xenomorphs came from. It's just you watch yeah. this other movie that like enriched the story. So unless he's changing the origin of the xenomorphs, it kind of doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, I think Ridley Scott obviously seems to have like he's really fascinated with this sort of like xenomorph origin thing that he has going on. Like he showed us in Prometheus how like the xenomorphs aren't just um, at the level that we saw them in the, the the movies that came before Prometheus. Like this is an organism that goes down to the microscopic level and it, um, you know, it it births like a creature into another organism and then it takes over that organism's form and it moves on. And it's, it's this very intricate system. And it's really, it was really a cool thing to see that in Prometheus, how this goes down to the microscopic level and uh, that it's a much more vast and intricate system that we ever would have realized. And I think the thing is like, that system remains true if you go back to Alien or Aliens or Alien 3. Like, if you go back to those original movies, those movies don't contradict Prometheus at all. And uh, as far as this this new Alien TV series, I feel like it's going to be within that universe. But what we're just hearing is that the director isn't going to focus on the origin of the creature, isn't going to focus on, like, the sort of, like various microscopic like different forms of this uh organism he's just gonna tell us like a good alien story you know and it's gonna be more true to the original films but to me it reminds me a lot of the uh star wars sequel trilogy because i don't know if i don't think this is ever said i've just heard fan speculation about this that the Star Wars sequel trilogy didn't want to acknowledge the prequels. And like, again, this is just speculation, but like, and not saying that it like um, contradicted the prequels at all. It's just kind of like the sequel trilogy never mentioned midichlorians. Um, it seemed like they made a point to not go too deep into uh, politics, for example, and stuff. And these were things that were very prevalent in the prequel films but it still fits within the same timeline. Like just because they don't mention midichlorians in any of the sequel films doesn't mean that they don't exist. And that's kind of how I would view the series in the same way as just like, just because it doesn't focus on some of the events from Prometheus doesn't mean that they didn't happen and they're not relevant. It just means that like, this is, this might be more of a confined, like concise creature feature we're getting instead of like a vast, story about like the origin of xenomorphs and how that factors into the origin of humans and all the crazy concepts that Ridley Scott has going in his movies. So that's kind of my reaction to it all, you know? Yeah, I know. 
So we'll see as it plays out. I'm look, I'm excited for it. I'm an alien fan. So yeah, uh, let's bring it. Cause like it, I, like I said, I've been watching for all mankind and it's all space stuff, which is great. But part of me is like, but it's so like real world space. There's no, yeah. there's no aliens and uh, there's no like spaceship battles. And I don't mind the lack of spaceship battles right now because of what they're doing with the space stuff. But it's also like, I need like, I, I want to see something with some aliens or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> something like something. I want to add a little horror element to it, you know? Yeah. I think uh, I think there's a time when you're like you're watching through the MCU movies and you finally get to Thor Love and Thunder and almost everything on the screen is CG. <laughs> like barely anything right. besides the actors in that movie even exist. And you're just like, I want to watch something more grounded. And then you go back and you watch something really grounded. And then after a while, you're like, man, I could use some sci fi or fantasy elements, you know, or some yeah. aliens or zombies or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, uh, let's, in, in the realm of space, let's talk about Star Wars for a minute. Um, there, so because of the success of the Marvel What If uh, series, um, Star Disney is reportedly developing a What If version of Star Wars. Now, I'm not... Right, right, I heard about this. I'm not opposed to this, but there is a, in the early 2000s, um, they released a comic book series called Star Wars Infinities. Um, they, they only uncovered, they only, um, covered the first, the original three films. So A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Um, they were really kind of cool. You couldn't read them as a trilogy. You had to read each one as like a separate adventure. Okay, so you wa- you read... Um, see what you did was you would read, uh, a new hope from beginning. Um, you'd read a new hope from beginning to end and, uh, you'd have, um, you'd have all the changes and stuff in the what if sense. Right. And then you'd read empire strikes back as if the, a new hope movie actually happened the way it should. And then you'd get all the empire strikes back changes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were interesting. They were kind of cool. But I don't know how I feel about doing a what if because I know how the Star Wars community screams about canon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's got to be like what you say is truth. And that's how Star Wars works in this world, unfortunately. So doing a what if is you're going to have people whining about how that's what we should have had or, you know, that's. I'm, I'm glad you guys didn't do it that way or whatever. And like it'd just be a lot of debate and stuff. But a Star Wars what if could also bring in elements from novels that are no longer considered canon. So they could actually maybe do something that way. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it. But there's some cool elements to that, you know. So thoughts on this? Yeah, I, it's it's really hard to know what to say. Um, I, it, part of me feels like I will just have to wait and see. But it's either going to be like this really cool little thing where we get to see like – Mara Jade or we'll see other elements or characters from the EU. Um, it's it's either going to be something like that, where it's just kind of like a fun little vision into like what we could have gotten. But it also could be there's a couple different options. Like it could be a testing ground. Like, is this where Disney Disney shows us like what if Star Wars had a multiverse or what if Star Wars had time travel or something? And they're going to it's almost like a testing ground. Like, how do the fans react to these crazy concepts? 
before we try to bring them into the movies. Like that's something I'd be kind of concerned about. And then the other thing I would be concerned about, which I feel like you kind of alluded to, Drew, is the fans' reaction to this. Because is this going to be something where we do get, maybe we do get some story elements from the expanded universe and stuff, and then everybody online loses their crap and starts complaining about this is what we should have gotten. Um, you know, Disney did better Star Wars stories in their what if show than they did in the actual movies. Yeah. And like, we're going to have like these really divisive, uh, angry reactions to everything. And that's, I don't know how it's going to play out. There's a lot of different ways this could play out. And again, like another way it could all play out is maybe it happens and it's just a little thing and it doesn't get that much hype. You know, we, we really have no idea at this point, you know? <laughs> I know. So, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> all we can say is we'll see. Um, yeah. All right. We talked recently about um, Mickey Mouse hitting public domain yeah. uh, or Steamboat Willie hitting public domain. And I mentioned that Superman and Batman were on the coming up on the next uh, go around. So mm -hmm. here it is. Um, the original versions of DC characters hit public domain this way. Superman in 2024, 2034, yeah. Batman in 2035, the Joker in 2036, and Wonder Woman in 2037. Um, however, um, the OG versions will become public domain. Um, DC has trademarked the terms Man of Steel and Caped Crusader, as well as Superman's S and Batman's logo. So I don't know what that means for anyone if they wanted to even try to do something. You know, right. the S is the, the S is trademarked. Batman's logo is trademarked. Um, the names Cape Crusader, Man of Steel. Now, it doesn't say that they uh, trademarked the Dark Knight, and I feel like that's the big one for Batman. Um, I mean, yes, the names, obviously, but the, the Dark Knight specifically, I feel like is a is that that's one I feel like they should have grabbed. Um, but that's just me. Um, but we'll see what happens when they uh, drop. I just thought you'd I thought you'd find it interesting that I gave we have a year. So we're like 10 years out from Superman. <laughs> so. <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really cool to think about, like in 10 years, like I could start self-publishing my own Superman comic. Yeah, get and on. sell it and not have to feel guilty. But it is going to be like I think anybody who's planning on doing that, there is like a labyrinth of uh, stipulations and stuff that you have to wade through. And again, like can you use the Superman S seal? Like, it sounds like that's something that look that you have to look into. Like if you make a Superman comic or movie or something and you don't have that S on the chest, like, is it still even a recognizable character? And then you also have to think about like, yeah, you might have the original version of Superman, but that doesn't mean that you have like the majority of his rogues gallery. That doesn't mean that you can use like tons of elements. Like you, might not be able to use kryptonite or the fortress of solitude or like so many things so it's like it's really going to be interesting to see how that plays out and part of me always wonders like you might be better off just making your own character at that point but uh it's still really exciting at the same time you know yeah <laughs> we might see some really cool stuff out of this <laughs> all right and finally last story of the night a new study shows that Mario Kart is the most stressful game of all time. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> which so version? Well, which version is a great question. So, <laughs> uh, a study has found that Mario Kart is the most stressful video game, causing a 33% increase in players' heart rates. The research involved 14 participants playing 16 popular games with Mario Kart, raising the average resting heart rate from 64 beats per minute to 85 beats per minute. Other top stress-inducing games included FIFA <laughs> Soccer, Call of Duty, Dark Souls, and Fortnite. The study highlights the intense emotional engagement and physical responses elicited by these games. So, I, okay, I have never been stressed out playing Mario Kart. And I don't play on easy. I always play on like a harder difficulty. But I kind of find Mario Kart to be an easy game. I've never been stressed out. I've never like been like worried that I was going to lose in any aspect whatsoever. I don't I don't know if I get it. <laughs> I really don't. I've always found Mario Kart to be kind of easy. Like if I'm not finishing first, I'm like close second and that's when you're playing on like higher difficulties but i'm like almost always finishing first and like you can google like fastest combinations and when i say that like because in like the newest mario kart you can choose your rider the cart the wheels and the hang glider that attaches and if you combo them together there's combinations you can make for like the best cart and like you just yeah. google best combinations and you can try them out and there's some of them are ridiculous <laughs> so i don't get it but i <laughs> My my curiosity with this study is how big, like, there's no way they did this with every single video game. Like, there's just, like, tens or hundreds of thousands of video games they could have tested know. out. Like, it seems like they took, like, I don't know, what did they do? Like, the 20 most popular games at the moment. And then it also makes me wonder, like, did they bring in, like, Silent Hill or, like, Dead Space? Or, like, how many, you know, how many dark survival horror games did they bring into this? Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of doubting too. I've never thought Mario Kart was that hard either. It is one of my favorite games. Um, and I have had like the occasional Mario Kart race with some friends where I don't want to say like my heart was pumping or I was drenched with sweat, but there's, there's some moments where you're, you're a bit on the edge of your seat. But again, I do kind of agree with you, Drew. I'd never like thought it was that difficult of a game overall. Um, but I don't know. At the same time, part of me wonders, like, is there something to Mario Kart's a racing game, but the uh, the controls of it are very easy. Like, it's not your sort of like uh, Gran Turismo level, like realisticness. It's like one of those like you press A to go, you turn the wheel. It's very rudimentary. But there's something about that that feels like it taps into like this sort of pri your primal reflexes. And it's kind of like. Maybe there's something to that. Like the gameplay is simple, the graphics are more cartoony and simple, and it taps into more of like something primal in you that's not necessarily thinking about the realism of it, and maybe just taps into your reflexes and stuff, and maybe that engages your heart rate more. That's like the only thing I can think of is like maybe there's something to the simplicity of it that makes it feel more natural, that makes it more stressful. But I'm still going to press X to doubt on this one because I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know if I agree with this. <laughs> I'm going to press X to doubt. That's a little um, Yeah, I just don't know what to think of it, you know. So anyway, for those of you who are having trouble with Mario Kart, I apologize. Um <laughs> That's great. It sounds like a skill issue, to be completely <laughs> honest. Um, 
that's like my kid's new comeback. Like uh, when you say when there's something going on, like you drop something in the house, you'll hear him go. It sounds like a skill issue. <laughs> you know what nice. I mean? <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Um, that's pretty good. Anyway, um, that kind of brings us to the end of the news. Do you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, let's go for it. Well, cool. let's uh, we're going to roll the thing and be right back. for the top five. Okay, so, Peter, this was my list. Um, I decided that with all the Rebel Moon controversy, the people, like, yelling about how Snyder needs to uh, finish the Snyder cut version of the Justice League and all that stuff and everything going on, I just feel like Zack Snyder's name has been, like, out in the news so much that I really think we should discuss our favorite Zack Snyder films. Now, we talk about them quite a bit on the show because, you know, it's just it's been commonplace. But I figure let's kind of put it to rest a little bit. Let's talk about our favorite ones and why and all that stuff. Um, There's not a lot. Zack Snyder came from a background of shooting music videos and commercials prior Mm -hmm. to feature films. And um, like he was known for music videos prior to this. And he's got a small handful of movies. Um, I have seen all of them. Um, and I, I kind of was like, wow, I have seen all these movies. That's crazy. Not that, that not that that's a crazy thing, but I was like, that's I've seen a lot of them. And um, three are DC films. And then you have, well, four of them are DC films. And then, so you have like five are comic book movies, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, there's there's not a lot of crossover for us to really dive in. This is probably one of the smallest pools we've ever dug into for our picks. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just think it's worth discussing. Uh, but I also think it's interesting because how tight this is. And it's a list we could probably, you know, revisit later when he gets more movies under his belt. But um, we're going to match a lot tonight. Um, but the whole point is to have the conversation. So I have a feeling we're going to match. Um, I kind of hope that we save the same one for last, but I doubt we will. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but yeah. So anyway, what do you think of this? What did you think of digging through this? So that, that's a good point about the, you said you saw, you've seen all of the movies, uh, that are directed by Zack Snyder. The only one all but one, didn't you? Yeah, the only one I haven't seen is uh, I never watched Legend of the Guardians, the Owls yep. of Ga- Gahul. Um, I always wanted to. I just haven't made time to uh, check that one out. <laughs> is that the one you were saying that yeah. you're yeah. expecting me not to have watched? Yes, um, that one did not make my list. <laughs> but I have seen it. So um, I, th- I think Zack Snyder has a very interesting career because, like you said, he started out he was known as kind of just a music video director i think that that remains very apparent in his uh movies like you watch a newer Zack snyder movie it's very like i think you can really tell that he is a video uh a music video director because that's like there's certain montages in his movies that feel very music video like but um i think he's an he has an interesting set of films that he's put together because you know, he started with, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Dawn of the Dead was like his first feature. And then he went into 300 and then went into Watchmen. And he was like kind of, 
he just seemed like this really big up and coming comic book movie guy and you hear that he was going to go on to do the new superman movie for dc and it all made sense on paper and uh, i drew i know me and you both really loved the movies that he did since then but i feel like it's man of steel and on he started getting more and more divisive with his movies and i think it's a really interesting thing but there was a time during uh i want to say the mid to late 2000s where he wasn't divisive at all and uh, that's an interesting thing to look at but we're definitely going to match on this one um, I don't want to keep going too deep I know we're going to have a lot to say as we go through this but uh yeah this is this was a fun one to put together um, I do have two honorable mentions I don't know uh, where you're sitting Same. with this one but I do too I do too. okay cool all right so it was my picks so you get to go first like I said we're going to match a lot so some of these reviews could probably be quick but I do want to talk about some of them why you know so yes so my first honorable mention actually I'm going to change things up I was going to say a different one first but um I'll go with the rebel moon this movie is uh very much a uh, shiny new toy for me it just came out I really thought this movie was really good I thought it was a really solid just like sci-fi film like it was just solid sci-fi that's how i would refer to it i think that if this movie was made by anybody but Zack snyder i think it would have gotten much better reviews but i think Zack snyder has such a stigma to him that people can't separate his persona from the movie that they're watching and i think that has a lot to do with how people perceived rebel moon but i thought this was a really well put together sci-fi movie i think it has some really esoteric stuff that goes on towards the end that I'm really curious to see how it plays out. But it's it's basically a movie where it's it's almost like heist film esque, where it's like the whole movie is about putting the team together, you know, but it's it, they're not accomplishing a heist. It's actually like a farmer village that's going up against the evil empire who controls the galaxy. And you've got to put your team of players together and you have to go to all sorts of different planets to pick up different people. You have to get the really good swordsman. You got to get the really good tactician. You have to find all the right pieces to the puzzle. And uh, I thought it was a really fun ride. So that's my first pick. Um, this one we'll have more to say on as time goes on. But yeah, Rebel Moon's the first one. Yes, uh, Rebel Moon is also my first honorable mention. Like I said, we're going to Okay, make. cool. So um, it's my first honorable mention. It is, um, it's fantastic sci-fi and it's deep um it's it's deep lore universe sci-fi uh there's a lot to it there's um the 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 concepts the ideas the scope of it is massive um and it's more massive on a scale that we don't know yet there's another film coming um the only reason this doesn't get any higher on my list i've only seen it a couple times but it's also super new and it's super shiny and I <laughs> I haven't fallen in love with it the way I have fallen in love with other movies, you know. So um, but yeah, Rebel Moon, man. So right on, right on. Yeah. OK, so moving into my next honorable mention, I went with the movie 300, uh, 300. This is a um, Frank Miller comic book that's adapted by uh, Zack Snyder into the feature film that we all know and love. And uh, 300. I feel like it this is so this could this gets so understated but this movie kind of in my opinion set the tone for action movies for 
the next decade after it came out. Like the, I know people like to criticize Zack Snyder for his slow motion stuff, but I think when this movie came out, he was doing something that nobody else was doing. And like he, I'm sure he took influence from like the matrix and um, you know, some of the, the slow motion stuff that they were doing, but some of those fight scenes in 300. So, hold up so well where you're just seeing like Leonardo or Leonardo Leonidas <laughs> the name Leonardo Dang flows Leonidas. off the tongue <laughs> so, so well yep. but no no yep. Le- Leonidas is uh going across a field like just taking out different um Spartan soldiers and the way that the action slows down and it speeds up and then it slows down again just at the right moment so you can just see how cool everything is how like all the blood splatters how you can see all the gory detail this is something that influenced action and sci-fi and superhero flicks for years to come and I think the movie doesn't get enough credit for that yes yes a big bad way um like uh, they, it's all, it's literally and it directly influenced um, Spartacus on Showtime. Was it? Oh, Showtime? the show. Right, right. Yeah, was that Showtime? I can't remember if it was Showtime or Stars, but it directly influenced Spartacus for sure. Um, but yeah, three hundred um, uh, based off the comic book by Frank Miller, um, telling the story of King Leonidas and the three hundred Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, right, right, right. True story. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, the King of Persia, the Persian Empire, um, uh, raining down on Sparta. Um, the slow motion effects, the like, I love there was like, there was something demonic about the Persian Empire that I thought was really, really cool in this like gothic horror kind of a way. Where, like, mm-hmm. each character... And gothic horror might not be the best example. I might be, like, mixing the, your horror genres, if you will. But um, it was, like... There was, like, this really cool... Like, they had the... They had the original initial soldiers that came in. And then you had the ones that, like, had this, like, Japanese look with the masks that were, like, the super assassins. Mm-hmm. That um, got piled into the... They had to stack up the dead bodies and stuff like that. And then you had... Like, each version, it was, like, each one, they were, like, escalating uh, the villain as bad guys. They were going to take him down. Um, and I thought that was really cool in this very comic booky way. And not and not away from the fiction of what they were trying to tell, but in that comic booky way, like, like almost, ah, comic books maybe not the best word, like, in a video game way. Like, they've increased levels, so now the bad guys are getting oh, harder. Oh, right, right cooler looking you know <laughs> in, in a um, weird way it reminds me of um big fish um which sounds kind of weird but it, it reminds me of like in big fish you have like the father character's stories where he is telling these stories that technically could happen but the way that the characters are portrayed are, is still larger than life it's still super exaggerated but when you think about it it's like well there actually could be people who would fight that way just in real real life it wouldn't look exactly the same and i think that kind of added to the storybook elements of everything so um yeah and yeah and i totally understand what you mean by when you say big fish like as you're explaining it i'm like i'm totally with you and if you haven't seen big fish you should because it's fantastic (laughs) um but yeah this movie influenced a lot of stuff this movie was actually probably one of the first Zack snyder movies i ever saw it might actually be the first movie of his that i saw where i realized oh this is a Zack snyder movie um 
But I, I remember the hype for this movie was huge, too. Everyone was all, like, excited for it. Everyone was like, it's like this is going to be amazing. Um, we were all kind of, like, going to the theater thinking, like, like I it just, there was this electricity in the air about this movie. And yeah. I've talked to several people who don't like Zack Snyder movies. But when you're in the conversation with them about it, they will always circle back and go, but hold on, 300 is amazing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, good then, good call. And um, 300 directly influenced uh, his own work because a lot of the slow motion techniques from 300 got used in Rebel Moon. So. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and most of his movies from there on out, actually. But, um, no, no, I, I do agree with you. Like, this is a movie that, at the time, there was so much hype for. And I do feel like it does get pretty well respected uh, with people, even people who aren't big fans of uh, Zack Snyder. I also want to mention, I did kind of misspeak earlier. I said Leonidas was taking out Sp- Spartans, but I meant Persians, so sorry about that. But uh, no, 300, I think it's it's really cool. And I think it uh, I think it does hold up pretty well, even though it came out like, man, we're going on, it's almost 20 years at this point, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> that movie yeah. came out in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um Okay, um, let me see here. So my next honorable mention is Sucker Punch. Okay, uh, yeah, good call. Sucker Punch is a fantastic movie. I think um, one of the downfalls with Sucker Punch in terms of the mainstream audiences is that the average moviegoer didn't get it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think, I, I hope you know what I mean when I say that. Like, he just, like, he didn't understand it. The... Uh, the movie itself is a lot of fun. It's a lot of it is inside the girl's head. Like she's imagining all of it. And that's the part that I don't think people understood. Um, but the movie, like, man, they had marketing for this. Um, it was marketed so well in terms of the posters, the imagery, the tape, the trailers, you were watching the trailers going, I got to see this and see what this is about. Cause this is, this is wild. There's a lot of crazy things going on here. There's like world war two airplanes and there's dragons and there's like undead Nazis and there's girls with guns, like kicking ass. And then <laughs> you got something going on with Oscar Isaac being a weirdo. Like what's happening in this movie. Um, ultimately it's about a girl who gets sent to like this orphanage insane asylum kind of a place and she's kind of treated i guess she i guess you could say she's kind of treated like a sex slave if you will and um so almost in this like early human trafficking kind of a thing that's not exactly what's going on it's just it's kind of implied that there's some kind of like sex slave sort of thing going on um and but she's forced to dance you know probably in that stripper sense forced to dance you never see the dances because it's all in her mind. So while she's dancing in her mind, you're seeing these epic battle sequences and all that stuff that's slowly telling the ult- the story in this really cool um, way. I, I'm trying, I'm like, I don't know what the best word to look at it. And I can't imagine how you pitch a movie like that. Um, but I thought it worked and I thought it worked really well. And as long as you hold on, as long as you're paying attention it it um it makes it makes a lot of sense and it all ticks together really really well so um i really enjoyed sucker punch i had a lot of fun watching it um that is a costume every now and then you'll see a baby doll costume at like comic-con but i feel that 
the year that it came out, we should have seen a lot more Sucker Punch costumes at Comic-Con, like the group, like the group of all the girls together. But it, you know, and that doesn't mean we're not going to, but, you know. Yeah, because because I think the uh, character designs in this movie are like really, really well done and that there's so many elements of like you have like these classic uh, nerd culture things like you have the sort of like the sort of anime tropes where you have like the, you know, anime school girls carrying giant weapons, but you pair that with influence from like, you know, like bad girl comic books like Danger Girl or Lady Death or whatever. And you bring it in with like these real world issues of like back in the day when people crazy stuff would happen, like husbands would send their wives to insane asylums just because they were tired of dealing with them and there's these crazy atrocities to the past that this movie alludes to and uh, it's really interesting when you watch it how it's like on surface level there's like the real world stuff where it's like uh you have baby doll's character is going to an insane asylum and then there's like another level of fantasy that she retreats to in her mind where she's imagining that her and uh, her fellow inmates are these sort of like professional dancers at like, a, I don't remember if it was like a club or like a cabaret sort of place or whatever. And then the uh, the darkness of like the things that are happening to her actually sends her to like another level of fantasy. And that's where she's fighting off like these World War II zombies and she's uh, slaying dragons and fighting giant samurai statues and stuff. And uh, it's a really interesting way to bring a lot of this like crazy comic booky imagery into it all. And uh, I'm not doing the film justice, but if you can actually look up YouTube videos that explain everything in the movie, and there's kind of these really cool levels of like Zack Snyder commenting on like feminist issues and talk commenting on how like there's certain issues with the way that uh, women were treated in the past that are still prevalent in like nerd culture today and stuff like that. And there's a lot to it that I think went over people's heads. And uh, it's, it's to the point where there's actually a lot of like feminist groups that actually hold this movie in high regard, which I think is pretty, pretty interesting and kind of cool in a lot of ways. But um, by, I don't know if it's even a gripe. The one thing that I always go back and forth on is like some of these esoteric concepts. I wonder if Zack Snyder should have made them a little bit more apparent to the average audience member. But at the same time, I also respect that Zack Snyder doesn't seem to care about that. <laughs> like he just made a movie and he's like, it's almost like he full well understands that most people didn't understand it and he just doesn't care. Like he's like, well, if you didn't understand it, it's your fault. <laughs> and there's something really impressive about that to me because it shows like he has like this level of integrity for the art that he's making where he's like not going to compromise his vision because he just like believes in it so i think there's so many different aspects to talk about this movie and whether you like it or not i know a lot of people don't like this film but i think it's an interesting film to talk about and that's why we're still talking about it and i think there is something to be said for that so yeah yeah Yeah. good call well there's something to be said about all of it if you think about it right yeah, yeah, for um, sure, for sure. Okay, what's your first actual pick of the night? Yeah, so my first one, um, I actually went with uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, wow, okay. His, uh, the remake of the classic zombie film. This was a movie that was written by uh, James Gunn. There might have been some other writers on there, but I think James Gunn kind of gets the 
you know, he gets the main stamp of uh, being the writer on this movie and then directed by Zack Snyder. And um, was this his first like feature length film? It sure I think was. it was. And it sure it's kind of crazy because this movie did so well. And they took a guy who was just known for for uh, music videos. And like you said, commercials. <laughs> and then he went on to this zombie film. And it makes me wonder, like, going back, like maybe the movie studio didn't think that this movie was going to be as big as it was but i remember when it came out it was kind of one of the biggest horror movies that year it was kind of just like i think it might just have worked out because it was like this movie that maybe the studios didn't think was going to be that big but Zack snyder delivered so well especially on the imagery of the film like that sort of beginning uh, sequence where you have like the little girl who turns into the zombie and the way she walks down the hallway and stuff. There's something so recognizable and iconic about that, that it's like, it's really lived on and it was parodied like in the scary movie series and stuff like that. But um, this to me is like, was just a really solid zombie film in a weird way. It's one of the, I feel like in the early 2010s and uh, late 2000s, there was a lot of zombie films that are really recognizable. And uh, this one really fits in there. And uh, oddly enough, I feel like there hasn't been enough zombie films <laughs> lately. So that needs to change. But uh, this one definitely stands out for me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew. Uh, but so, And I know we've um, talked about this one in the past as well. So we've, ma- so we've matched on Dawn of the Dead. Um, okay, cool. Dawn of the Dead is a... So, yeah, it's his first movie written by James Gunn. Um, but this is like the first zombie movie. I, I really do think it's the first one where he where the zombies run. Um, they don't walk. They don't lumber. They sprint at you. And it adds this level of terror to the zombies, which is fantastic. Um that it's just it's really exciting. And there's some, some cool interviews of Zack Snyder talking about how the zombies run. Um, the, uh, seeing that is really cool, especially like the opening sequence in the movie You have Sarah Polly, she's at the hospital and she's like kind of do, finishing her shift and she's walking past TVs <laughs> that are covering the outbreak, right? The zombie apocalypse is happening. She gets home, not even really paying attention to the world around her, kind of goes about her day. Her and her husband clearly go to bed for the night. They wake up in the morning and this is like little zombie girl standing in their hallway and they're like, are you OK? Are you OK? And then the zombie girl kicks her husband and then he breaks out immediately and then starts chasing her. And but he's sprinting and it's this horrifically horrifying, like opening sequence. I absolutely love it. It's so well done. Um, but uh, the movie itself, it's just really exciting. And it's it's a remake of a yes, it's a remake of a movie, but. It's a remake of a movie in like this most beautiful way in terms of how it was put together. Um, Dawn of the Dead is fantastic. It's probably it might very well be one of my favorite Zack Snyder movies of the entire list. Um, oh, cool. But yeah, so um, I wasn't saving it for the end or anything. I just think this is one of my f- absolute favorites. So. Yeah, yeah, good, good call with that. It, yeah, it's a it's a great movie. So uh, that's awesome. I thought for a second, I thought you're going to say it's, it might be your favorite zombie movie. And I was going to say, it's, Hey, we haven't done that list yet. So it's definitely one one of my favorite zombie movies. So when we do do that list, I will be talking about Dawn of the dead for sure. So anyway, nice. Um, go ahead, man. What's your next one? Okay. So this is where it gets weird, but the, the list is so small. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels like we're going into really big movies really quick, but, um, the next one I went with is uh, Watchmen. 
And I went with okay. this one for a specific reason, which will make sense. Like I went in this order for a specific reason, which which will make sense as I go through my list. But Watchmen is I feel like when it comes to comic book adaptations, you have Sin City. Sin City is the best adaptation uh, of a comic book when it comes to one to one page to screen. You're seeing the exact same thing, right? Thank you for saying one to one. Yes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not saying Sin City is necessarily the definitive best comic book movie ever, but when you look at it in that regard, like nothing yeah. beats Sin City. But Watchmen comes close. Like when you read, because I remember I read uh, Watchmen, like I read the comic uh, as a whole shortly before seeing the movie in theaters. It was one of those like read the comic before uh, the movie comes out. And I remember just being blown away how much the imagery played out so similarly when you see the movie. But then you also have Zack Snyder's level of like, he can make everything look good and epic. And the way that the imagery pairs with music, it, it was just really a treat to watch. Um, and I think what I've said just there is like something to really keep in mind with how Zack Snyder does really try to honor the source material in his films. And I think Watchmen is really evident. Um, I remember uh, there's a guy I worked with for a while who um, he wasn't necessarily a big Zack Snyder fan, but Watchmen was one of his favorite movies. And he just and I, I think it was because he loved the comic. He felt like it was a really uh, faithful adaptation to the comic. And I know there's certain things they changed. Um, they took like the Black Freighter comic out of there. They uh, they changed the end with how everything plays out with um, Dr. Manhattan. I'm kind of on the fence. Like, I feel like I might like the movies end better. I don't know if that's blasphemous to say, but it does feel really streamlined. And at least for an adaptation into a movie, I do think they made some really smart choices there. But uh, I think you have Zack Snyder. He took, if you go through his movies, he has, uh, he had Dawn of the Dead he showed he could do this like really good reboot of a movie. And then he had 300 and he showed he could do this really faithful comic adaptation. And then he did Watchmen and he showed he can make an awesome superhero film and he can stay uh, true to the source material. But also like with all that said, Watchmen in a weird way is like, I think it was tragically before it's time. Like it came out, Right, like the year after Iron Man came out. It came yeah, out before it the MCU. It came out before all this superhero, this big superhero boom. And I think I'd, it'd be interesting to see where it would sit if it came out later. And uh, Drew, I know you were just talking, so I don't want to keep going. But no, what were you I, was saying? Gonna, I was just going to say Christopher Nolan talked about this, too. He said the same thing, that it came out before. It came out way ahead of its time. It came out before everybody else. Um and it would he'd love to see how it would perform if it came out after Avengers one. Um, I don't think now, like if it came out in that sweet spot, like after Avengers one, when everyone was like, yeah, superhero movies. Now, I don't know how it would do. Um, but it was way ahead of its time. It's incredibly faithful to the comic book. It's dark. It's gritty. It's casted so well. It's beautifully shot. Um, so if you get a chance to watch it, in all seriousness, Watchmen is considered like it's one of the comics out there that's considered the Bible in terms of how you tell a comic book story, tell how you tell a superhero story. Um, when Alan Moore wrote it, it was originally meant to be a Justice League film. 
and they said or a Justice League book and they're like you can't make that you can't do some of these things with the Justice League with these characters and he went all right well I'll just make my own characters and that's how you got Watchmen um yeah which is kind of interesting when you look at the parallel to Justice League and like how those characters parallel that franchise that those that group the specific team the um but yeah the movie is amazing and I'm with you in terms of uh literally everything you said so right on (laughs) um all right my next one is quick because we've already talked about it and so so just for the record we didn't match on Watchmen then we did not match on Watchmen okay wow that's that's I I had a hard time (laughs) trying to piece that together I was like I, I really I wanted to include it but I was like as I went I'm like I really need to go with what I got here so fair enough I, uh, I like to me like Watchmen is like one of his greatest films but uh no I, I'm just surprised but yeah keep going with it yeah. all right um so my next one and we don't have to talk about it really is 300 um okay just be I, I was gonna mention it first but you brought up Dawn of the Dead first so yeah um so yeah 300 um it's it's amazing i don't have to go any further so <laughs> right on. i know we just talked about it heavily we just, we just we already talked about it a lot but yeah all right man i have a feeling you and i match on all the following three well, there may <laughs> i just don't know what order we matched on them in so you get to go first you get final pick of the night if you think about it so go ahead oh man yeah that's uh that's interesting this comes out um, of the order that we're discussing so well, when I did it, um, when I put together my list, um, we're going to really spoil some stuff, but the last three picks I went with, I just wrote them down chronologically. Um, so the, <laughs> the next movie uh, I was going to mention was was uh, Man of Steel. Um, this is actually... All right, so we're talking Man of Steel first. Yeah, th- this, this actually might be my favorite Zack Snyder film, but um, I'm also very biased towards it. Because it's Zack Snyder doing a movie about uh, my favorite superhero, you know, Zack Snyder doing a Superman movie. Um, this is a film that was partially was filmed in my hometown. I got to be an extra in the movie. <laughs> I'm actually on screen for a split second in the uh, background of the uh, Battle of Smallville. Yeah, Superman. You're probably yells, not going to. Super, well, Superman yells, take cover and Peter takes cover. <laughs> yeah. There's it's one of those great, things. There is a great going. behind the scenes. There's a great behind the scenes photo of you getting to stand next to Superman, which is awesome. Yes. So <laughs> it was like while the while the movie was being filmed, uh, there was leaked uh, shots of behind the, the scenes of this movie. And uh, I ended up being in one of those leaked shots. And it's actually right before it's in the Battle of Smallville. You have Superman at one end of the street. You have uh, two Kryptonians. I want to say it was Feora and uh, Namek who are on the other end of the street. And uh, they're about to walk towards each other and duke it out. And I was an extra on the film standing between (laughs) both points, ready to run off the street and run away. And that's the exact part of the film that I'm in for. It's literally a split second. Like you just see me run off the street in the background. But what's funny about that leaked photo is when you look at it, it looks like I'm like, right next to Superman and then it looks like I'm like 10 feet away from Superman and 10 feet away from the Kryptonians that he's about to fight but in reality there is 
like a hundred feet between me and Henry Cavill and then a hundred feet the other direction. <laughs> and it's just the way that specific camera looked, it like screws with the perspective. Uh, so it actually looks more epic than it actually was, but uh, no man of steel. Like I said, I'm extremely biased towards this film, but this movie I loved because I felt like when it came out, we had the MCU started, you know, we had Iron Man, we had Thor. I think this came out uh, the year after the Avengers. The Avengers, I think, came out in 2012 and Man of Steel is the next year. And I felt like Man of Steel brought a weight like I love I love the MCU, but I felt like Man of Steel brought a weight and a realism to superheroes movies that I felt like was missing. And I just loved it. I loved how. Like, yes, this is a movie about an alien visitor to our world <laughs> superpowers, but like it brought this level of realism in the way that people reacted to it and the way that some of the physics played out. And uh, I don't I don't everybody said the movie was dark and I didn't necessarily think it was that dark, but it at it brought a weight to it like a. There's a level of like if two Kryptonians were fighting in downtown Metropolis, they're probably going to level some buildings like there is a realism to that that I thought was really refreshing uh, when it came out. So I really loved all that. But I also loved that all the Superman tropes played out in a way that was so believable, you know, like why is Superman like why is the Kryptonian environment harmful to him? Like why is kryptonite harmful to him? Like the movie explained so many of these things in a way that uh that all seemed to just make sense when you watched it and like even some of the more like goofy tropes it all seemed to like be well thought out and made made sense and uh it, this movie has some of the best fight scenes it has amazing music by Hans Zimmer um just all around I love this film so um yeah I don't know <laughs> man of steel uh, thoughts Andy <laughs> or Drew <laughs> sure um, so Man of Steel, this, um, when they announced that he was going to do Superman, um, it's, it's an incredibly earnest take on the character it's in, and it's incredibly real. It's, they didn't, um, and I, and I, Christopher Nolan, who directed the Dark Knight trilogy helped heavily with this. He, he was an executive producer on Man of Steel and they almost, um, Batman begins to the Superman story in the sense that they kind of started from the middle and told you backstory stuff. Um, you got to see the backstory where Clark learned when he was a little kid and he learned um, about his, you know, x-ray vision for the first time and his super hearing. And then you see the thing where he saves the kids on the bus. And then you see the thing where he's going to get into mm -hmm. a fight, but kind of holds back because his dad's telling him not to beat the kid up because he knows the dad knows if he like takes that first punch, he's probably going to kill the kid. And he like has bends the pipe. Um, there's the and then there's the uh, there's the hurt tornado scene. And I know people get mad about the tornado scene, but it's that thing where I don't think people understood the tornado scene, like why Jonathan Kent had to die there and why he had to die in that way. Um, you know, uh there's this these beautiful things about it there's this moment where um i've had there's people criticize the movie where they've said superman doesn't save anybody in the movie and he saves people all throughout the film yeah little, that always little, bugged all, me when people all that. the way through and i'm like you didn't watch the movie if you're telling me that you know and then when you finally because he saves he saves people throughout 
he saves the guys on the oil rig. He saves the kids on the bus. He saves, you know, these people, these people at the tornado, but he wasn't able to save his dad for a specific reason. He saves people throughout. And then when you get to the final, he saves the people in Smallville because of the fight. He saves the military guys because of that going on. When you get to the Battle of Metropolis, he saves the planet. Right. You know what I mean? So when you tell me he didn't save anybody, you didn't watch the movie. Um, this is a Superman movie where he actually gets to throw a punch for a change. And I say that because when you look at some of the Christopher Reeves movies, like Superman three, for example, there's no punching. Um, you know, this is, (laughs) (laughs) um, there's, there's a lot of punching in Superman two and Superman four, but, uh, the other Christopher Reeve movies, not a ton. So yeah, I hear you there. (laughs) Um, so that's just, you know, I'm not trying to like knock on it or anything like that, but you know what I mean? Um, there's it's just interesting how uh that stuff goes you know what i mean the um when you look at uh uh when you look at the movie as a whole it's just a really great earnest take on the character and it's really cool the story threads that they were trying to create leading to the following films so if we're talking about them in chronological order that's okay um but they they laid seeds they laid threads they you know i remember talking to you this is before the podcast came out i remember talking to you about the introduction of kryptonite and how it wasn't in the movie technically but it was in the movie because of the terraformers they brought the kryptonian meteorites to the planet and that's how kryptonite got in but the movie was also this really cool take on people potentially being scared the realistic response to finding out that you're not alone in the universe. You know, when you look at the Christopher Reeve films, there is no way that that's how that would play out. If you look at the man of steel, that is exactly how that would play out. If you found out there was an alien living on the planet for the past 30 years, you know what I mean? That's it's, it's, it's crazy. And that's where the movie I think really shines in some of those ideas, like the realistic take on how this would happen. So, yeah. And just because, and uh, I, I, there's a point to this, I'm not just nitpicking, but the uh, you did mention the tornado scene um, and how, uh, you know, you have Jonathan Kent who gets killed by the tornado. And a lot of people, that scene rubs them the wrong way because they're like, Superman should have, you know, Clark, Clark should have saved his father. But in that scene, you have like Kevin Kastner as um, Jonathan Kent, who I, th- I think his performance in a uh, the Zack Snyder DC movies as a whole is actually really great. But the way he just holds his hand up and he tells Clark, like, no, you can't save me. And I think there's a level to that where like, yeah, like in most other cases, like most other fathers would want to be saved, but there's a level of like, this is a guy who, you know, he, he took in this kid that they found like in a cornfield or whatever. And he, realized later on that he's raising the most powerful person in the world like he's raising this person and he has to make sure that this is somebody who keeps their power in check you know like absolute power corrupts absolutely and i think in that moment we see jonathan kent realize that like he has to be so true to his convictions. He has to lead by example. He has to show Clark, like, this is not the time to give away that your power's here. And he has to be that true to his convictions. And the reason for that is because, um, because otherwise, like if he didn't have such a strong father figure, Superman could become a villain. And I think there's a level of responsibility that's showcased there. And I think 
my whole point with all of this is this is the level of detail that I think Zack Snyder thought through with everything that I think is beautiful uh, in his films as a whole. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So um, what's your next one? <laughs> Probably pretty easy to guess, but for the next one, I went with Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, uh, the again, 26th again. film, the sequel. Again, we match on, again, we match on this, so. <laughs> It's all good. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I can keep going unless I, I kind of feel like uh, I keep saying like a lot more this episode than you. So I feel oh, bad. It's all, it's all good because this is this is the one that I was saving for the end for a reason. But it's OK. Oh. It's OK that we're talking about these in chronological order. So go ahead. Interesting. Well, we can talk about that a little bit, too, because. Chronicle, chronological order works really well for me, but with this set of films, and I think it's because of uh, the way that the public received these films when it was coming out, but Batman v Superman. So obviously, like I've already talked, I was a big fan of Man of Steel. Like Man of Steel is a movie that I rewatched over and over again. I loved it so much. And uh, I was so excited for Batman v Superman to come out. And I remember walking in the theater and I was given, in a sense, what I expected, like tonally and everything. Everything did feel like what I was expecting, but in this really well thought out, intricate way. Like, I didn't know that the movie was going to start with this uh, this scene. And I don't know if it's the very first scene, but everybody's going to know. Like, it, I didn't realize it was going to start with uh, Bruce Wayne in downtown Metropolis during the Battle of Metropolis from Man of Steel and how intricately... Bruce Wayne's story at the time was going to play out and how it would perfectly match up with Man of Steel. And I remember yeah, watching yeah. that scene and being like, oh, this is so awesome. And everything's playing out at the same time. And that building's falling over at the exact same way that it did in Man of Steel. And it was <laughs> to this level where I talked to people afterwards and I'm like, you guys got to admit, like, that was so cool how the first scene matched up so well with the battle of metropolis and i had friends who were like oh it did i didn't think it really matched up <laughs> it showed this level to me it showed this level of like okay these people don't know man of steel as well as it all as i do but they also didn't know what they were getting into with batman v superman because to me i was a fan of man of steel and i felt like tonally batman v superman matched up so well so i was completely satisfied with that movie like watching through that movie and um yeah it's <laughs> it's hard to know where to go with this one but I, d I just thought it was really satisfying i loved that they continued the story so well i think the incorporation of uh you have lex luther going into the kryptonian ship and uh the way he harnessed that technology the way that he created a version of doomsday uh you know, using General Zod's corpse. Like, I think there's so many cool, intricate things they did. And as a fan of Man of Steel, as well as just a fan of the comics and, uh, you know, knowing about Mother Boxes and knowing about Doomsday's origins from the comics and then picking up on uh, the Kryptonian ship talking about how, like, Doomsday is actually a desecration from years before that uh, Lex Luthor was basically recreating. And I think people didn't pick up on some of these details. And uh, that's why I thought it was just such a satisfying watch. Um, I feel like I'm going on and on. So, Drew, I don't know. Feel free to jump in on Batman v Superman. But uh, yeah. All yeah. Right. <laughs> so I truly feel that 
and I'm going to say it right now, line in the sand, I don't care what you think, Batman versus Superman is the greatest comic book movie that's ever been made, period. Oh, man. Okay. Um, okay. And I'm going to say it under the sense that this is, first off, um, we had been waiting forever for Batman and Superman to share a screen. We've been waiting since 19, I want to say 1989. Because we already had the Christopher Reeve Superman, and then we got the Michael Keaton Batman. I'm like, we need to put them together. And it, it was talked about forever. Like, we need to get them on screen together. When are we getting our Justice League? So on and so on. This is the first time these two shared the screen, period. It was a big thing, marketed well. I remember the marketing. There were points where, because it was up against Civil War. So you had Marvel releasing Civil War, and you had DC releasing Batman versus Superman. And I remember, I don't remember which filmmaker it was. But it was someone who wasn't involved in either project. And he said, I watched the trailer for Civil War and I watched the trailer for Batman vs. Superman. And I can't wait for Batman vs. Superman because it looks like shit's going down. And <laughs> and it made me excited. You know what I mean? Um, the thing about this movie is they Snyder started something with Man of Steel. And it was very clear from the opening sequence when Man of Steel ended with the Battle of Metropolis. And Batman vs. Superman started with the Battle of Metropolis showing Bruce Wayne's involvement and the fact that he was in Metropolis at the time that it happened. And it paints Superman in this interesting picture. It paints him in that interesting light of we looked at Superman and Man of Steel as the good guy because he saved everybody. But now you're looking at him from the other side of the coin as, wow, that was an interesting way of looking at it. It's dark. <laughs> it's Superman's the bad guy. We need to fear him. And Bruce Wayne talks about that. It's all in dialogue. It's all in visual cues. Um, when you look at the story as a whole, it is very clear that Zack Snyder was trying to do The Dark Knight Returns. But not only did he do The Dark Knight Returns and Batman comes back with a vengeance and starts, you know, looking, trying to hunt down Superman and so on and so on because he's scared and he's worried. They flipped the coin. Um, they did it opposite. They did, they did Dark Knight Returns backwards. And I say that in the sense that when you read Dark Knight Returns, when you read the novel itself, which is also one of those books that's considered the Bible of comics, it's like that. It's like Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen are the two pinnacle books that people will say, oh, you read comics, you need to read these. They have to, they're yeah. Dark Knight Returns starts with a very good chunk of it is news broadcasts and newscasters and political heads and um, uh, all these and scientists and stuff and all these like people from all these places discussing, do we need a Batman? And why do we have Batman? Do we really need him? Crime, you know, we should let the police handle it. Batman doesn't need to be here, all that kind of stuff. And they and Batman versus Superman, they were doing that, but they were doing it with Superman. Do we need a Superman? The fact that Superman exists changes our understanding of the universe. The fact that Superman exists changes our understanding of ourselves and the fact that we're not alone in the universe and all that stuff. And it's it's all there in dialogue. It's all there listening to those things. And I was like, and I was watching the sequence where they have that montage of all these news broadcasters. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> and then you get all the way to the end battle with Batman versus Superman is from Dark Knight Returns, mm -hmm. mech suit and all. Like, it's crazy how well they put that together. And they did it in this backwards way. They just did it with Superman instead of Batman. And they were building to something very specific. They were building. 
Um, they were laying seeds. They were laying story threads. They introduced Wonder Woman in, a, in an honestly kind of a really beautiful way. Yeah. Um, they even even though like you can almost look at it and say, was it a little shorthanded? Maybe. But they did it in a really nice way. The introduction of Doomsday. Um, I know people complain about Doomsday, but I'm sorry. The CGI on Doomsday is a thousand times better looking than the CGI on Thanos, period. I don't care what you say. Marvel's phoning it in. Their CGI is crap in comparison. Um, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks that because if you look at what Marvel's gone to, um, it's it's crap in comparison. The detail <laughs> that they put into these is absolutely insane. And I'm a, and I have no problem like throwing it down tonight. Um, when you look at it, it's just it's kind of gorgeous. And what they were trying to do with Doomsday was really cool um, to talk real briefly about the Martha scene, which is the controversial sequence is people laughing about that. It's again, people didn't get it. It wasn't. Look, it's Batman and Superman have been around for 80 plus years, and I don't know of any comic book reader out there because I sure didn't. And not, I'm not speaking for all of us. I'm just saying how many of us realized, oh, hey, their parents have the same name. <laughs> Their yeah, mom's the same name. That's weird. I never noticed that before. But they open with the uh, Wayne uh, death, the Wayne murder, which was great. Yeah. Martha Wayne, right? And then you get to Martha Kent, okay? And Batman's having his deal with his, you know, he's having these bad dreams about his parents and the whole, like, Martha thing. So when that line comes up, it's the name that caught him off guard. It didn't stop yeah. the fight. It just caught him off guard. What stopped the fight was when he said, why would you say that name? Why would you say that specific name? And Lois is like, that's the name of his mother. And that's where Batman stops going. He there's a bit of humanity to him. He has a mom. He came from somewhere. Yeah. Just like me. And that's where they have that moment of we're the same. We're just doing it differently and it's not that they become instant friends it's the i get it now you know what i mean and it's and mm -hmm. then all the name did that whole sequence all it did was throw them off guard because if that didn't happen in their argument of does batman beat superman yes he does <laughs> you know like if that didn't happen it would have been dead to rights end of discussion um, and yes, Batman cheated with kryptonite and stuff, but if you're going to fight Superman, that's how you got to do it. Right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think if we go into the logistics of it, there is, I've heard people argue that like, there's no possibility Batman could ever get close enough to Superman to kill him before sure. Superman would have a chance to take him out. But that's not what matters because what matters is we got such an epic fight between the two of them and I loved it. And I was a Superman, I'm a big Superman fan, but I still think it was awesome. And I do think it was cool to show how Batman did get, like you have Batman, the Dark Knight, with the with Superman, like the strongest man in the world, and Batman has him down by this Kryptonian spear that was so badass. But Drew, we've had this conversation before, and I I really agree with the whole assessment and how Lois Lane comes in at the end to say that's his mother's name. But I do think there is a level of you have one split second before somebody stabs you in the neck and uh, Superman knows that Batman sees him as an evil alien. And I think if he said, you're letting them kill my mother, 
Batman would just assume like, oh, well, your mother's an <laughs> your mother's alien scum too. Stab. And <laughs> I think there is a level of like saying the name Martha is kind of really is like a brilliant thing to say because Martha's a human's name. And I think it right. saying that one word showcases that Superman was trying to save a human. And it I think that did have a big hand in how Bruce uh, rethought that whole thing. But I'm glad that you kind of went back and showcased how so much of this movie is from Batman's point of view, like um, from the beginning to the Metropolis scene to how Bruce is very distrusting of Superman and stuff. The movie does such a good job of like, you know, it's a shift like Man of Steel is shown through Clark's point of view. But then you go to Batman v Superman and like look at the title of the movie, Batman v Superman, like Batman's the first name mentioned and so much it's, of it is not, through it's Batman's not the first, it's point not the first view, name you know? mentioned. It's not the first name mentioned because it's alphabetical. It's the first name mentioned for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's um, almost it's almost like Batman. It, it's when you watch that because Bruce Wayne was at the Battle Metropolis. It's almost as if Batman did come first. You know what right, I mean? Right. Right. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Um, this is also a Batman that has been Batman for 20 plus years. So he's been on the job for a while. This is an older Batman. He's a little more angrier. He's definitely grittier. Um, I think that uh, Ben Affleck's performance is one of the best Batman performances ever. I'm, it, it really is. And that warehouse fight scene is probably the greatest Batman fight scene <laughs> ever. Holy shit. Um, the what's, big... what's crazy about this movie is there's so many moments. Like we've talked about Batman for Superman for how Batman v Superman for how many minutes, and we haven't mentioned the warehouse fight scene. But it was such a cool, like straight out of the comics, like moment. Yeah. It was so now, great. I will. I'll end this because I'm, I know I'm going to segue a little bit back to this in a little bit if when we get to the next movie that we're going to discuss. Um, the, uh, but now I'll, I'll bring it up now. Um, the nightmare sequence, um, yes, was absolutely astounding because it was laying seeds for what was coming, what we all knew was coming, um, and we all hoped was coming. And you're literally you're watching the nightmare sequence and you're like, oh, parademons, <gasps> Superman's bad, <Yes. gasps> end of the world, um, Omega symbol burned into the earth, dark side. This is <laughs> we were all like our brains were like, like this is insane. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, real quick, um, a fantastic job. What a lot of people don't get is they're like, that's not Lex Luthor. He's not Lex Luthor, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the thing. First off, he's not Lex Luthor. If you pay attention to dialogue, he's Lex Luthor's kid, Alexander Luthor. And they played it as he was, um, they played it as a modern day, uh, rich guy or modern day billionaire. You're yes. uh, Mark Zuckerberg's and such. You know what I mean? That's how they played it. And it was brilliant, especially for the time period. So <laughs> everyone needs to get up Jesse Eisenberg's back. The, my final point on Batman versus Superman is this. I believe that Batman versus Superman is the Blade Runner of comic book movies. It's the absolute best one. But if you don't get it, you're never going to. Huh. And that's right. why and that's why I say it's the Blade Runner of comic book movies, because there's people out there that like they know that Blade Runner is this amazing sci fi epic, but they just don't understand it. 
Very interesting. It Well, it really kind of feels like when I saw Batman v Superman and I was watching it in a theater and so excited and thinking of it like while I was watching the movie and the imagery on the screen and being like, this is the greatest superhero movie I've ever seen. And then walking out of the theater and pretty much all my friends that I saw it with weren't that in like weren't that impressed. And it was just so weird to me. Like, did we watch the same movie? Because I thought it was great, you know, but um, yeah, I know that's the thing. Like when I hear it, when people started ragging on it, I'm like, I don't think you and I saw the same movie. Well, uh-huh. I I think talking about the ragging on it could actually segue pretty well into uh, my my final pick. Well, I don't want to talk about the ragging on it, so let's just segue into pick. <laughs> well, I was just going to touch on it because Man of Steel was a divisive movie. There's a lot of arguing about the destruction caused in the Battle of Metropolis, especially. And then Batman v Superman came out, and that was even more divisive and... Uh, we're talking about years went on of people just arguing online about this movie constantly. And it was to the, to an extent where it kind of, even though I love the movie so much, it put a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Cause I would just, I was just tired of the negativity behind it. Sure. And uh, eventually we finally got the Snyder cut. We finally got Zack Snyder's justice league. Um, this came out in um, 2021. So quite a few years after the 2016 Batman v Superman and Zack Snyder's justice league is a movie that, you know, we did get the weed and cut of the justice league, the first theatrically released version um, where Zack Snyder had to leave the uh, filming of that movie for family issues that he had. And uh, Joss Whedon came in to uh, take over and finish that film to destroy the movie. And, and the, the Whedon cut of the Justice League, as Drew was alluding to, wasn't the best received. And uh, there was online Stop petitions. <laughs> <laughs> there was online petitions. There was a whole cult movement of Snyder supporters who went into really begging and berating Warner Brothers to just release the Snyder cut of the movie. They're like, look, we've been paying attention to every report on the Justice League movie. We know Zack Snyder showed the Warner Brothers execs. We know that he showed them a cut of the movie. There is like documented proof that the Snyder cut existed. It just all came down to showing the studio that there is enough of a fan... uh, want for this movie to come out and it took years but it finally came out and i think the zack snyder's justice league is a good film in my opinion to go out on with this list because there's there's so much divisiveness over batman of steel and batman v superman but this is a movie that came out that seemed to get universal praise this is a movie that came out where everybody said oh no this was a lot better than the weeding Whedon version and there's people saying like oh I I get Zack Snyder's vision now I get what he was leading up to and you know maybe certain people didn't agree with certain choices he made on the way they still saw like this is the Justice League he envisioned and we finally got it and we got so many cool things out of this movie we got a much cooler better villain uh with how Steppenwolf was uh portrayed we got the visions of Apocalypse and dark side and just so many cool elements but that's really the reason i wanted to save this one for last was just the positive praise 
Um, and almost like universal praise for the Snyder Cut. I just, it warmed my heart. As a fan of the previous movies, I love to see so many people celebrating this when it finally happened. So go ahead, Drew, we can we can go into specifics, but this was yeah, just an so awesome the, ending to the story, you know? So I don't need, I don't think we need to recap Snyder Cut dilemma nonsense again. Just know there's a version of Justice League that is not the version you watch, period. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, just don't watch the weekend cut ever. We acknowledge it doesn't exist. Um, so period this, there's, there's like literally one good thing I can say about it, but I'm not going to because he doesn't deserve it. Um, this is the Snyder cut version period. And, um, it's, it's the only one worth watching the movie itself. Um, the Steppenwolf stuff, he Steppenwolf was amazing, not just visually on an art level and like on a CG level and how good, like how good it was. He was amazing in the fact that you felt empathy for that character. Like they did it in this really cool way that you actually, he's the villain and you have like empathy for him. Um, And like how it got pieced together. Darkseid, seeing Darkseid on screen, first off, the nightmare sequence alone in Batman vs Superman alluded to it. And then you get to Justice League and you get to see Darkseid on screen, and he looks like Darkseid. He literally looks like he would scare Thanos. Period. Like, <laughs> it, and and it's and what sucks is the fact that the way that played out, Thanos got to the big screen first. Thanos, famously from Jim Starlin, the guy who created the character, famously said he ripped off Darkseid. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. I've, I've create Thanos, <laughs> and then. Thanos gets to the screen first, and then Darkseid looks like the ripoff. But those of us in the comic book world know the truth. Um, but Darkseid, seeing the backstory with him, seeing him sitting on the throne, seeing uh, Granny Goodness and the other uh, Furies like behind him, um, I was literally like, "Where's Big Barda and Orion?" And you know, I was like waiting for that. Seeing the army of the Parademons, seeing Apocalypse, like the physical look of everything they put on screen for that, it's just solid gold um the sequence with bringing superman back to life we got to bring him back the relationship amongst the characters building the team uh flashes it's not i guess it's flash's origin you get a little you get a lot more in the flash film but when you look at uh that sequence with iris west when he saves her on the street it was so beautiful it was so beautiful and it was yeah. it was awesome um the whole thing with Cyborg, man, they in that Whedon cut, they just destroyed the character Cyborg. Like they just completely took him out of the movie. Like it, none of that stuff made sense. But when you watch the Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, it all makes sense. It all plays in um, the big battle sequence at the end. Um, the cool Batman stuff with the you know vehicles and the suits and the the tech that they did, Aquaman and all that stuff. It just everything played the way it was supposed to, and you could tell. And it was done so great. Uh, the big Wonder Woman rescue terrorist sequence in the museum at the beginning was amazing. There's all these great moments leading up to the team being put together and all this stuff. And it's just incredible. And what he was trying to do from Man of Steel to the end of Justice League was absolutely beautiful. And it was gorgeous. And his influence completely influences for the rest of the time those DC films. And I'm mm -hmm. really curious to see 
I am curious to see Superman Legacy when it comes out to see what influence is being drawn because I don't know. And Christopher Nolan is, I think he's dead on when he says every science fiction superhero movie right now is being influenced by Zack Snyder. And he's probably dead on. And when you think about it, like what transpired? Uh, yeah. And yeah. we haven't even gotten into like, like we've touched on it a bit, but like we talked about like, you, a movie like 300, you have Zack Snyder influencing the way action scenes ha are shot for the next 10 years and stuff. But we haven't even gotten to, like, when you go into the visual language used in Zack Snyder's uh, superhero films, how the cinematography is. But even if you go deeper into, like, costume work, like how Zack Snyder's costumes in these movies looked true to the comics, but they also were more detailed. There was a lot more textures they looked realistic but larger than life at the same time and uh how that went on to influence like a ton of films as well and i feel like there's so many angles to look at it when you're actually looking at his specific um influence um yeah so yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. It's hard to know. There's so much we could say, you know. <laughs> look, in all seriousness, I I think you should basically Go, I mean, if you have access to HBO, great. Um, I think, actually, I think they're all on Netflix now um, just because of the new, um, I don't know if Zack Snyder's Justice League is because that might be a, a HBO Max original, so that might be stuck there. Um, but jump on your HBO or go to your library or find some way to watch them, but watch Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Justice League. Make sure you watch the director's cuts. So the Snyder Cut for Justice League and the Ultimate Edition of Batman vs. Superman. Watch them back to back. Do like a mar marathon. Take a weekend. Because I think you're really going to see what was trying to be done there. And it's incredible. Um, so, Zach, I know you're listening. We love you over here. You do great work. We can't wait for more. I can't wait for more Rebel Moon because I'm really excited to see where that's going. Um, but, yeah, dude. That's, that's what I got for Zack Snyder tonight. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but... Yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll add, you mentioned Rebel Moon. Zack Snyder uh, did that movie. He also did uh, uh, Army of the Dead with Netflix. And um, what's cool about as much flack and division that he got um, from his superhero films at Netflix, Netflix is really known for being a, uh, a studio in general that really lets their directors do what they want. And I really think that this is the perfect place for Zack Snyder and as much as I'd love to see him do more DC movies and stuff if he's doing his own original fantasy and sci-fi and horror and just genre films in general I'm so pumped for it and I'm pumped for the uh, artistic freedom that he has over there at Netflix so uh, that's another sort of like silver lining happy ending <laughs> way you can look at everything you know yeah yeah um all right man it's your pick for next week what are we doing yeah, we so really you just... long, real fast. We went really long tonight, guys. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation and everything. We don't normally go this lengthy. But, uh, Peter, what are we doing next week? Yeah, so you hit me with a uh, topic for this episode that had a not a ton of movies to choose from. And uh, I thought I'd hit you back with another one of those. <laughs> okay. Because not with... next week, I want to talk about our top five favorite Saturday Night Live feature films. So oh, we're talking geez. movies like Wayne's World and uh, Coneheads and The Ladies Man. <laughs> and there's there's a very short list of these movies. It is a, it is a longer list than Zack Snyder films. Uh, this 
list next week we have the potential to match for every single movie but these are some of my favorite movies at the same time some of my favorite comedy films are are uh, saturday night live films so i thought this would be a fun topic to talk about but again we're gonna match a ton so <laughs> that's all right that's all right but that's that leads to the good conversation so there's nothing wrong with us sharing the top five list um yeah. All right. Well, everybody, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to our social media, including our email, top5report at gmail.com. Um, you can uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Audible, Amazon. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, uh, but we understand criticism because that helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days, and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre, and that's where I will be talking about how we should all start calling plumbers waterbenders. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.